Hamhuis intercepts, dumps the puck back in. Campoli has it, flips it. Burrow steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They slayed the dragon. Alex Burrows, 5:22 into overtime. Game seven goes to Vancouver, and the Canucks are off to the second round. Burrows bags it. Bo Horvat. Danny Hansen. Horvat's gone to the front of the net. Cycles on. Horvat steps in, turns, fires into a crowd block. Another chance to score. his first National Hockey League playoff goal with some persistence in front of the Calgary net. And Couldn't get a shot away, now he gets it back, backhander through traffic, loose puck, Fernandez comes up, oh, oh, score! Matt Cook, Matt Cook, the Canucks have tied the game with 1.2 seconds. Now Daniel still has the puck. At the right point, he controls. Let's go with a slap shot, deflected in! Trent Clatt, the Canucks have won it in overtime. Clatt with the goal, and Vancouver takes game one. Welcome into the Connects and Pucks podcast and the special post-game edition of the podcast talking the exhibition game of, uh, against the Jets that just happened last night. Uh, the Canucks dropped a decision, 4-1 decision, just preseason exhibition to, before the main event against Minnesota Wild on Sunday. So, I mean, we can't really ultimately read too much into this. You know, we saw Elias Pettersson play his game and uh, actually look more or less in mid-season form and ready to get started. So that's some good news. Brock Besser looked very good and multiple chances. If not for Connor Hellebuck, he probably would have scored at least a couple. Uh, had a breakaway there, tried his, tried a deke rather than shot. I still think he should be shooting more than uh, deking on breakaways, but that's another conversation. You know, he looks different. He looks a lot better than he used to. Um, fully healthy. He's, you know, his rib cartilage injury has fully healed. Uh, his shot looks stronger. He looks like he's in positions a lot faster offensively so that's some good news uh, for the Canucks moving forward. Bo Horvat he looked pretty good as well as dominant he was in a matchup role uh, as normal um, you know playing against Mark Shifley uh, there and then I mean looking at the other guy Quinn Hughes uh, Quinn Hughes did look a little bit rusty um, had some problems moving the puck through the zone but I'm sure that'll get fixed up and then, and then Jacob Markstrom did allow three goals. Uh, fourth one was an empty netter. So, I mean, it, he looked okay. Uh, I think he's going to have to be a lot better. As we'll talk later um, with uh, my guest today is Aiden Batley from the Hockey Writers on the Canucks side and Prospects side. He's a great conversation with him, uh, breaking down the series and had some other thoughts about the players that were dominant and what guys that still need to uh, step up in the future if the Canucks are going to win. Also talked about Olya Levy, who had a really great audition, I'll say, or a great look you know, as an extra defenseman there. He did play only seven minutes or a little under seven minutes, but he looked good, So, which is great to see, especially with how he's battled through injuries through his uh, career so far. So uh, he's 
he's technically the seventh defenseman right now because Jordy Ben's uh, waiting, awaiting his uh, his baby. So you know, once he gets back, it'll go back to the normal. I mean, he'll love you to be a defenseman, but right now he's one injury away from coming into the lineup, and I don't know. Him, he looked pretty good for uh, for his debut, and Oscar Pattenberg didn't look so well, so good. So I think he's going to ultimately make it um, appearance in this series at some point, especially with potential for injury. So I think he's still one of those uh, guys that have a lot of potential for the Canucks, and it's great to see him uh, step forward, uh, especially in such an unprecedented time here so it was great yeah we'll be talking uh dan seaback couldn't be on the show today but we definitely will be getting him on later on uh especially as the playoffs move forward we're getting some great guests on the show uh at least one canucks writer canucks podcaster uh, canucks twitter guy uh or girl uh we'll be talking with either of those as we go forward we actually have i actually have an interview set up for next week um, with someone from Twitter. Sarah Log from Twitter. Uh, Canucks said you've been probably you've been probably following her on her uh, website. Canucks said she's doing a great roundtable right now. Um, sorry, I couldn't be a part of it. I totally, totally forgot to get my responses in, but uh, definitely be up for the next roundtable, especially. Uh, she's done some great work over on her website, so we'll be happy to have her on the show next week, especially after a few games uh, with the Canucks uh, playing against the Wild. So we'll definitely have some great things to talk about um, as that goes forward. So uh, without further ado, let's let's get the show started with Aiden Batley from Hockey Writers, Canucks, and Prospects. back to Canucks and Pucks. I'm very excited to be joined by Aiden Badley from the Hockey Writers. Uh, actually writes for the Canucks over there as well as some uh, a lot of prospects work in the CHL. Uh, welcome to the show, Aiden. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm really excited to be here and really excited to talk about the Canucks again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yesterday, um, it's kind of weird watching hockey when it's uh, over 30 degrees outside, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> it's really warm and uh and uh it was actually light out which usually isn't something that we're doing at 7 30 so uh yeah it was uh it was fun to watch the canucks again and uh, a lot of stuff came out of that game uh just kind of made some general takeaways from you uh just to start out uh yeah well it was kind of hot outside but it was a bit cold on the ice it seemed like they were 
there was a bit of rust there for both sides, obviously, early on. Uh, I know Sportsnet covered uh, all the turnovers in the first period there. And that was just sort of really what I took away. It was just, it was really a game to get moving again. It was a preseason game in uh, July, which is yeah. really bizarre. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, hopefully that was enough for them. And uh, instead of the regular season, they're going straight into the playoffs or play in now, I guess, which yeah. is incredible in itself. Yeah, it's the thing is about like there were some players that definitely saw some rust. Uh, JT Miller had a a few little gaps defensively, like that uh, back pass on the power play went right to the guy uh, coming out of the box. But right, right. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, he he had some moments where he had offensively too. I mean, I'm sure he'll shake that off pretty fast. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. The one guy that didn't seem to have much rust at all is Elias Pettersson. I mean, I I don't know. I he looked more polished I think a lot faster a lot to, I mean we're kind of getting used to his greatness uh, you know over over the you know the couple of seasons he's been here but I mean I don't know I think he looked like he had an extra level there. Did you see that shot uh, in the first period where he kind of gave yeah. that kind of the facial expression of huh I can still <laughs> shoot that was amazing that was just I think that's truly reflective reflective excuse me of where Pedersen is right now in his development and he's he's impressing himself after uh, how many months off they've taken and you're right he's spot on and he's definitely going to be an x-factor during the series for sure yeah I mean the thing is that I, I, mean, I was saying that earlier episodes that he he kind of stuck how he's impressed me every time I watch him on the ice and I mean, the smarts and the, the ability he thinks the game and how quick he makes decisions on the ice, too, is just, you know, kind of boggles the mind when you think about it. It really does, just in the way he looks at the game. And now he's getting more physical. He can use that mental game he's already had, always had, even pre-draft. And uh, he's just sort of adding another level with the shots, with the forecheck, with uh, all his positional plays getting a lot better, too, in both ends of the ice. I think uh, I, I he's the one to watch for me, for sure. Yeah, and that's the thing about him. He can take over. I think he can take over a series, too. And Definitely. Definitely. You know, no doubt. And uh, another guy that's uh, it's kind of been impressive in training camp and in, you know, even in the exhibition game yesterday was uh, Brock Besser. I mean, he's been – I think he, he kind of looks more like his Calder Trophy uh, nominee season there. Uh, with his shot and the ability of, you know, he's kind of was noticeable almost all game. It is, and I think being on the second line helps. I think being with Horvat and Pearson, and they're both good players at creating space, and they don't also uh, take up the majority of the puck in the offensive zone, like uh, Pedersen or Miller does as well, with their really elite scoring talent. I think he finds more space on that line. I think he finds uh, just better chemistry, honestly. I think that Toffoli acquisition is going to really come in spades, if not for himself, who's a great player, but for freeing up Besser to get better opportunities. Yeah, I agree with that. And the thing is, like Besser's probably going to be starting on the second unit power play too. Yeah. Um, wow. Kind of spreads out that talent. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about the power play later on. But, for I sure. mean, we didn't really see much of it yesterday because they only had, I think, two power plays. So uh, we didn't really see that second unit a lot. But – you know, that could be a difference maker too. And, you know, getting down to that second unit um, because the power play is going to be really uh, key in this series. Oh, I think all of us are talking about uh, 
rotation and depth in the Canucks and especially on the power play. Like if you look at their top shutdown guys in Minnesota, like the Dumba, the Suter, all that kind of stuff, they've got some really good players and you're going to need to test them all the way down to the depth chart and especially on the power play. And so having Besser on that second power play unit really gives them an opportunity to have that kind of quarterback, the Ovechkin, the Stamkos, yeah. that shot there. And I think if he, he, he lets it rip and he finds the net, yeah, he's going to be scoring more often than not. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably could have scored at least a couple goals yesterday, if not for uh, Connor Hellebuck. And oh gosh, he's uh, I mean, come on! <laughs> uh, wow, I'm, I'm glad we're not facing the Jets. Honestly, just it's one of those things that I didn't really get to see a lot of Jets games this year, which sucked because my family's from Winnipeg. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, just the stories and what everyone's saying about Hellebuck, like all these talks about him not only being the most valuable goalie but the most valuable player and sneaking on those ballots too that's just incredible and i i'm not uh I'm, i wouldn't want to be the team he faces and no, i mean looking at how the jet season has gone through you know this season how many shots uh how many high danger chances he had uh looking at the analytics and i mean it's insane uh, the the reason the Jets are here is because of Hellebuck. I mean, there's no, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if anyone can argue that. Yeah, like, the interviews last night with their GM and it's just sort of like with all the, as you're kind of understating and trying to talk it down, but with all the rotation, oh, let's call it rotation. I think that's the correct way to put it. The rotation they've had on the back end. Yeah, yeah. The defense yeah. and uh, their key trade deadline acquisitions as well. Uh, Hellebuck's been the most consistent thing about that team and it's good because they have really good scoring but it's also a bit streaky sometimes as well yeah. so just to have that goalie that you can count on nine times out of ten it's just really been helpful to them yeah and i mean it looks like the canucks just have a problem with the jets in general i mean last time they beat them was like they're on 11 game well including this exhibition game they're on 11 game losing streak for that team and just wow. seems like it just follows the same script. Um, I did the takeaways piece uh, earlier today, and they were outscored 39 to 11 in those 11 games too. So, I mean, <laughs> in looking at it, most of the time they can't even score against, and then they get blown out most of the time too. So, I mean, I don't know. Something about that team they just can't seem to figure out. It is. It's a good team, uh, especially in the past when, like, if you look at their – uh, 2019 teams and then the past even from that it's just it's been incredible with the amount of depth they've been able to retain even with the salary cap and having Buffalo and Truba and Shifley line a yielders you can go down that roster I could probably name 10 or 15 players that would be top line players or top deep pair top goalies on most other teams yeah. and they have it all the way down to their third line and that's just that what Jet does yeah, it's true. And the thing is that I was surprised that they were able to kind of, you know, recover from all that turnover, losing Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba. Yeah, for and sure. I mean, uh, Neil Pionk has been a, I'd say a revelation for them coming from the Rangers. I mean, it, I didn't think he was going to be that uh, prominent early on. Yeah, another one is uh, Kulikov. I, I was impressed yeah. with him yesterday. Like, he's got that goal and maybe a bit of a Canucks uh, Lots of judgment there, but he played well. And same with obvious, the obvious of uh, Josh Morrissey. Yeah. 
Who's oh, yeah, been Morrissey too, incredible. yeah. Who's been incredible at really taking taking that leadership role. Not taking anymore. He's definitely just yeah, cemented yeah. himself as that guy, that quarterback. The Hughes, the McCarr, the Carlson, the whatever. He's just their guy on defense now. And that's amazing to see. Yeah. Um, let's go over to the Canuck, Canuck side again. Is um sure. Quinn Hughes. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, we're we're always impressed by him. How do you think he played uh, yesterday? I, I kind of saw a bit of rust on him, too, uh, especially on the power play. But, I mean, he'll probably recover pretty quick. Yeah, and I think it was, it was really about a new system. as Or not a new system, but a developing system as well that he hasn't played in a long time. But he was really the guy that was in charge of bringing the puck up the ice. And sometimes he just wasn't able to find that breakout pass. And I'm not, I don't know, maybe I'm a huge fan boy, but I don't like to think I am, but he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, there was a really hard time creating space. And I found uh, the players in the break-in were always kind of clumped at the blue line there. So it kind of made him make a sloppy pass. Oh gosh, it sounds like I'm defending him. But uh, <laughs> he's an incredible player and I'm sure the rust will work off. And I'm sure Travis Green's going to have them working on that transition play and their practices before the series, because I think that, especially on the power play, which you were talking about, is where they need to work on the most if they're going to get Hughes operating at his best level. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue to the power play, um, is looking at, like, the power plays they did have, I found until, like, they won a faceoff for that one timer that Pedersen did um, that they just missed was off a win one faceoff. And that was the reason they had that chance. And since that that power play, and it couldn't even they seem, didn't seem to be able to move up the ice very very well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I they, mean, sorry, keep going. I mean, they will probably again. Most of the most of the power plays I saw, I've seen the exhibition game exhibition games were sloppy. So I mean, I think it's just the fact that teams aren't. I mean, practice is practice. Until you get into a real game, you can't really practice your power play. I definitely agree with that. It's it's really awkward. And another thing I think a lot of people aren't really considering when they're looking at these exhibition games is these teams are preparing for their series matchup, not the exhibition game. I'm sure maybe five minutes were spent on preparing for the Jets, but they're all preparing to play against the Minnesota Wild, who are a very, very, very different team. They're a slower team. They're a more steady team, but they're a slower, more methodical, more... Uh, composed and to use a cliche mature team yeah. with their age and I think uh, you look at the power play versus the Jets or you look at the power play versus the Wild uh, what the Canucks were trying to do with their speed I think it will come through a lot better with against the Wild yeah I, I agree with that too and I mean you make a good point there with the, the fact that they weren't probably they weren't preparing for the Jets let's just say yeah I mean they're they're mostly we're looking at getting you know their feet under them get some you know reps in against an nhl team rather than just themselves so i mean it's crazy to think how long they've been without playing it's like um it's full summer if not (laughs) more because they're playing during the summer and not locked in their apartments that's that's great the transition from one exhibition game to playoff hockey that's incredible that's going to be difficult for any team yeah, it's it's going to be – I mean, having one game to really prepare for an intense series that, you know, when you already have – usually have a few months to really prepare for it. So 
it's it's going to be interesting to see how the teams kind of adjust to that, what the hockey will look like in all the game, you know, the first games of these playoffs. So, I mean, just watching the exhibition games, I was actually impressed with how how well the flow was um, compared to like watching preseason, actual preseason in the past. For sure. The coach in me uh, wanted to pick apart everything. I, I'm an <laughs> academic and a coach as well, so I'm just the most cynical hockey watcher ever. But uh, it, you're right. In terms of speed, in terms of flow, I don't think it was that far off. I think they've been a lot of the players have been really responsible about keeping in shape. And I think the depth of the Canucks allows them to, uh, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure this is foreshadowing to the future, but I'm sure the depth of the Canucks allows them to use the ones that were better in shape or better prepared. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, kind of leave, leave some uh, other players as super subs or black aces, but yeah, the positional play uh, was definitely something that seemed like they kind of forgot. Like, if you look at the goals against against Canucks yesterday, uh, you could tell they were collapsing deep. It wasn't very good pressure, and they were just allowing the Jets to get into really good spaces, not giving Markstrom any chance on any of those goals. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I mean, you saw that from the Jets, too, early on. A lot of turnovers. Um, I mean, the Canucks kind of – they could have taken advantage of that, if they would have finished on some of those plays. But, I mean, it, it happens a lot. It, during the season, it happened a lot to the Canucks, too, is that they had, you know, good structure for a lot of the game. Then they have their lapses, and that's when they lose it. So um, that can't happen in the playoffs because, I mean, you can't be losing even just one game, especially in the five-game series coming up. And we all know what that's down to. It's down to the youth and just the experience and the amount of turnover in that roster, too. How many players were not playing a year ago? Roland, mm-hmm. oh, uh, Myers, Hughes was just getting implemented in the system, but he wasn't really there. Miller. Like, these are core fundamental guys that are relatively new to the system, and they have a, had a long break from that system as well. Yeah. So it's going to be really tough to kind of get back into that zone or find the zone in the first place. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is what's good is that all the teams are going to be are dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, none of them are in ahead at all, really. I mean, you can look at, you know, someone asked me the other day, it's like, oh, who do you think is going to win the cup? And I'm like, it could be anyone. Like, it, it could be anyone. Yeah. So I, like, There's those brackets, like everyone likes to deal with my friend groups the same. I have no idea. I honestly, with the five-game series, too, just no clue because that's going to completely change it. The structure. This is something we all as fans have never seen before, and that's exciting to me. That's awesome. Yeah. And the thing is, is there's so many teams that there will be some players that are going to come out of nowhere, too, and, mm-hmm. like, prospects that are in – like, you know, you're looking at guys that have come in that may have not played all season and – come in and actually be a factor in this in some of these series so yeah i know there's a, a favorite of yours uh, i'm probably going to mention now <laughs> we can talk about it in a bit but exactly you and yeah he's a real favorite of yours and you uh pegged early on in the camp that he was going to be part of that lineup and admittedly even i was skeptical i was like <laughs> what a jake for 10 20 goal season <laughs> how do you say no to that and sure enough he played well besides that hit where he almost got a run over <laughs> he played incredibly well last night and i think he's well deserving of a spot in the lineup 
Yeah, the thing is, is you look at well, it's a good segue again is to talking about Vertanen. Yeah. Um, I mean, coming into camp, Vertanen was, you know, admit he was supposed to be in the lineup. I mean, third, fourth line, he's played. He even played the second line, and even had some time on the first line sometimes. I mean, yeah, he was a factor on this team in the regular season. But I've said multiple times before is that this is not the regular season anymore. This is a new season. And he had to come in and actually prove that he can be a factor again. And ultimately I don't think he has. I definitely agree with you. I just I I don't even see him getting the into the lineup as the first sub. I think Erickson will come in over him. And that's incredible considering what he did in the regular season. And just sort of how uh I I don't know how to put it, but how the transition in Green's locker room, is, I think this is definitely a Green decision, Travis Green, to sort of put out a solid lineup, put out a lineup with experience. Like you saw Sutter out there, which I was kind of admittedly surprised about, but Beagle played okay as well. Uh, you saw Roussel with that goal, which yeah. is nice and chippy, and Furland as well, who I really hope stays healthy. I I I wasn't optimistic about him earlier when we did our roundtable, but I. I Yet another Canuck I want to be proved wrong on. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually been pleasantly surprised with Furland, and I'm happy for him as a uh, you know a person that he's he's able to kind of come through these concussions without any health issues, and hopefully he doesn't develop any um, or get any concussions or any setbacks during these playoffs. But he looks really good. Um, I mean, even yesterday he had some had some good. Uh, four checking battles, good hits. So I mean, if he can be a factor in this in these playoffs, I mean, there is a definite chance he makes a big difference. Yeah, well, uh, I was watching the highlights because I came home from work last night. I was a bit tired, so kind of dozed off during the <laughs> later parts of the game. But I was watching those highlights, and one thing I definitely didn't realize that you kind of alluded to there was how much he was crashing the net. It's like the yeah. old school, early 2000s, skated as fast as you can, stop right in front of the crease. And that was just, it was impactful. It was helping create space for the other players on his line. And just really having that kind of skill and hockey IQ on, in a depth role is going to help the Canucks immensely. Yeah. And the potential for that line to be a difference maker in these as well. I mean, I, I found early on, I mean, it kind of went away from, maybe towards the end of the game, it kind of came back as their forechecking pressure. I thought their forecheck was really good every time they were on the ice because they're all three of those guys are, you know, Godette and Roussel. They're both speedy forwards too. They can get in on the forecheck quite fast. So, I mean, I think having a line like that going could actually be a big, di a big difference, not just in this Minnesota Wild Series, but in the playoffs in general. Well, betting for years now with his acquisitions has been trying to really find those skilled two-way guys, even with a lot of the players that Canucks have been rumored with, like Lucic a long time ago. I remember yeah. that. Oh, I'm so uh, happy they didn't get him. <laughs> still, still a bit uh, bummed about 2011? <laughs> no, mostly because of how he's been, I mean, on Edmonton mm -hmm. and then Yeah, could you imagine? Calgary. They're so, he's so slow. I mean, yeah, he is. He's not the player he used to be by any means. Yeah, so I mean, I'm happy we're not. We already have an Albatross contract in Ericsson, which we got anyway. So I mean, <laughs> we have a couple of them, honestly, but we can go into that at a later date. That's a new, yeah, that's a new conversation. 
Oh, it's a longer conversation than that. <laughs> That's like multiple world. episode conversation. Oh, it's a series <laughs> in itself. Canuck contracts. But talking about those depth players and the two-way players, the Beagle, the Sutter, all those acquisitions that were made to really kind of add some leadership to what was a really young, dysfunctional Canuck group in the beginning of Benning years. Uh, there was a lot of misses in those signings. I'm sure, I, I think I read an article from a hockey writer covering some of those, and but there's also a lot of hits as well. And you look at the roster and some acquisitions from a couple of years back that uh, really, I think, need playoff hockey to show their value. Like yeah. Justin Williams, who kind of, Mr. Game 7, I know he hates that nickname, but there's some <laughs> players like that who just love to show up in the playoffs. I think Beagle is going to be one. Uh, that's a bit foreshadowing to an article I'm writing right now. But I think Eagles are going to be one. I think uh, Sutter could be an impact, too, if he can stay healthy. And the, I know you're an analytics guy, so you probably sh- cringed when I said that. But uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know. It's a, that old-school hockey intangible I'm holding on to for some of these depth players. And, I mean, the thing is, the playoffs are a different season. And you look at guys like, I think, Jay Beagle, like as much as we kind of pile on him, for yeah. being such a high-priced third, fourth-line center, mm-hmm. he proves his he shows his value in the playoffs. I mean, you already see you saw that in the Washington Capitals, you know, run there. You did, um, you really did. He's one of those guys, and I think the Canucks. Some I don't know who someone mentioned it earlier about that the Canucks are built for the playoffs, not so much a regular season, but built for the playoffs with the players they have and the depth they have. Well, I think you know, I think so. Oh, go for it, go for it, go for it. So, no, yeah, go ahead. No, but if you want to look at I'm going to say a comparable for a bit old school, age, or Vancouver Canucks fans. But, like, do you remember how good Manny Maholtra was in the playoffs? At yeah. Point? Could you imagine if we had something like the, him and just that defensive shutdown guy? And it allows that Horvat line with Besser now to get even more space and better matchups. Yeah. If you have Eagle against that uh, first Minnesota Wild line, I'm not saying they should do that. That's probably on my pay grade. But um, if they do something like that and it works, then suddenly the matchup game is so heavily tilted in the Canucks' favor. Yeah. The thing is, is like, and Travis Green will probably do this, and he did it yesterday, was uh, matching Bo Horvat against the top lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I am always split on doing that. I mean, if, from what – you know, I liked when, when we had, when the Canucks had Vigneault, uh, he just went power on power. doesn't matter. I don't care who is on the ice. You have to shut us down. We're not going to try to shut you down. And it seems like Travis Green is of that coaching style that he's like, well, we got to shut down the best players in the other team. We're not going to win. Why well, can't you just throw Elias Pettersson and say, well, you have to shut down Elias Pettersson. I don't care about your players. I think it's an old school mentality. He hasn't had a good team. Until now, or until I don't honestly say before Foley and Furland being healthy, I don't know if the Canucks would be considered a good or I'm not going to say elite yet, but definitely not a great team. And now I think they do, and now they have those options. And now I think you're right; they could go. Okay, we're going to put Patterson and Hughes and Miller and all those guys out there. Now it's your job because we can match you up anywhere on our lineup. We have Furland on our third line, these multi-million dollar contracts on our fourth yeah. line. We'll we'll match you up anywhere. I, I don't think they could have done that before, at least midway into this season. Yeah, that's, he's, I he's agree. Trapped, he's trapped in that old school 
roster that they had a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, Vigneault had the same thing uh, his first couple seasons here. He played that really defense-minded uh, game, and he did change when the Canucks got a better team. He thought, okay, we have the Sedins, we've got Kessler, uh, you know, and your third line with Burroughs. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I think he realized that, and that's when he just changed his mentality. Hopefully Green has that uh, revelation as well. Yeah, well, they could run all four lines back then, and they're starting to be able to now again. I think the more and more those players develop, and if you do play a Jake for Tannen on the third line or fourth line even, you can run four lines offensively. And I think that's a luxury the Canucks had in 2011. Like, you look at Samuelson and Rafi Torres and all those players that played in depth roles that still produced in the playoffs. I think they could do that. I, I would really like to see them try to run four lines again and do that what you said earlier and try to get other teams to match them up so i think they're more skilled than the wild yo no that's definitely and the thing is they're a lot faster uh, a lot younger um but again you're looking at the wild and they do have some players that can be that you know young they have some young talent too um like kevin fiala i think is going to be a interesting guy for the Canucks to they're gonna have to watch him um and he kind of already like in the exhibition game they played against the avalanche he was the prominent guy there and the Canucks are gonna have to keep an eye on him and then they they do have their goal score and they still still have Parisi and um uh, Stahl but they're admittedly older Mm -hmm. um so I mean I think the Canucks definitely do have more I'd say more depth scoring-wise, than the Wild do? I don't think that's a question at all. I think that's you're dead on there. I think uh, in terms of scoring, like, you have really streaky players on the on the Wild. Like, I'm looking at their roster now. I have it pulled up on second monitor. Like, if Galchenyuk gets hot, if Koivu gets hot, Parise uh, winds back five years, same with Nadal. <laughs> you got Zuccarello, who's a bit underappreciated on no matter what team he's on. And they got the back end and their defensive core is one of the best in the league as well. So I, it's, it's really, I think the Minnesota Wild is really one of those underrated teams. No doubt offensively they're weaker than the Canucks, but that experience, like they have hundreds of more accumulated playoff games than the Canucks, maybe not on the Wild themselves, but throughout their careers. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting to match up against the Canucks, who are by far faster, by far stronger. I think the Canucks, if it goes deeper, if it goes past three games into the fourth and fifth game, I think that's when the youth is just going to sort of shine through because I think the the older players will get a bit tired, especially the ones that haven't played in the playoffs in a while. But it's an yeah. interesting matchup. They're two fundamentally different teams. Yeah, and the thing is, like, they threw up the stats uh, yesterday about how evenly matched statistically they are and like their goals for goals against about the same uh mm-hmm. you know they're there's just so much it's the same about them and yeah like you said they're but the styles they both play are totally different they are they really really are and you look at those those stats and you're right they are very similar the goals against and goals for what was a spread of five on either one yeah it was just crazy numbers and they were what a point apart i think yeah point apart too point apart that's crazy just have those teams match up in the i think that's another 
luxury of this uh, format, just to have those teams kind of match up more and hopefully have really, really interesting matchups come throughout the, all the rounds. The rounds plus one now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, just, I think we're spoiled and I, I like it. I have no idea how they're going to match up. I have no idea how a playoff series is going to go between those two teams. A play-in series, excuse me. But uh, I'm, I'm excited. I think all fans should be. Yeah. And, yeah, the matchups are going to be interesting, not just for the Canucks and Wild, but in general throughout the NHL. I mean, yeah, you have teams that aren't generally – like you look at the ball, okay, Boston Bruins, yeah, they're stronger than most teams. But the thing is, is they're, they're in the same boat. They've got – you know, all the other teams have the same – they're starting at the same point. So, I mean, like I said, it's going to be very interesting to see who's going to jump ahead early on. It is. I think uh, – I remember everyone talking about that whole Carey Price thing earlier. And I think that's a bit blown up out of proportion. But just – I think you're going to have really solid teams. I think you're going to have four or five Tampa Bay Lightning series this year. <laughs> Poor Tampa. But <laughs> I think you're going to have those series. I think you're going to have – uh situations like that and you're gonna have players that you mentioned this earlier players that no one expected especially in the shortened five game series you're gonna have stat lines from players across three games that are gonna be absolutely dumbfounding can you imagine like if chris tanev gets six points or four (laughs) something like that canucks nation will be freaking out and it's possible it's very possible with the phone it definitely is and the thing is I mean, in general, in the playoffs, you got guys that kind of come out of nowhere and score, you know, I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but Edmonton Oilers and Fernando Pisani, way oh, yeah. back, you know, he had 20 goals in the playoffs. He barely hit that in the regular season ever. And, yeah. I mean, who thought, oh, yeah, I'll have Pisani in my playoff pool? Yeah, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's one of those backs to the future moments you want to go back and. Yeah. Pick Brandon Persani, and everyone's like, Who? Who? <laughs> Can you imagine? That'd be great. But yeah, you're totally right. And that's just the playoffs in general. I think this playoffs is very different. I think in what you saw on the ice, it was very different from what you see in playoff hockey or what you see in regular season hockey or even preseason hockey, too. It's just kind of a bit alien to me when I was watching yeah. it. It didn't feel right. But that's the best part as well. It's going to be so different. You're going to have. So many unpredictable storylines. Like, it makes our job hard as heck because it's <laughs> impossible to predict any of this. Like, our my predictions especially are going to look stupid by Monday. <laughs> no, that's true. Like, I thought it was going to be kind of weird watching, you know, with no fans and uh, that uh, piped-in crowd noise, which is kind of just white noise in the background. Yeah, what did um, you think of that? So, I don't know. I, I found it – I got used to it as, you know, as it went on. So, I mean, one thing I do think they do need to do is up the volume on those goal horns. I mean, you can barely hear – like, the Canucks scored and they're like – the horn was, like, kind of muffled. Um, I don't know if that's a recording from a game that has crowd already in it, but I don't know. I, it sounded weird to me. It's It's a bit delayed, too, isn't it? Like the the uproar after yeah. the, a goal scored. It's like the goal scored and then a second pass is then uproar. 
like, yeah, people, like people in Rogers Arena, especially, are thinking the goal's gone in five seconds before it actually has. <laughs> so you have <laughs> you have uh, situations like that where you're waiting for the guy to press the button to say goal. It's just kind of it, it does feel artificial, and I'm not sure I'm a fan of it. But at the same time, I, I don't know because you had soccer. I think uh, the Bundesliga that came back first, the German soccer league. Uh, did it really well. I really, really, really enjoyed hearing the players on the field talk in their different languages as well and sort of communicate. But in hockey, I don't know. I don't know if the North American audience uh, can handle that or wants to handle that. So it's just, it's so alien, the whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, they're trying to do their best uh, Mm -hmm. to make the atmosphere look good. I mean, feel feel good because that's all they have is TV. I mean, no one's going to be there. No, um, you can't complain. It's hockey. And, so uh, it's yeah. hockey. I don't really like. <laughs> sure. We're watching hockey, and that's all I really care about. And once you get kind of going in the game, it felt like a regular Canucks game to me yesterday. So it did because you're watching on the ice. You're not watching the weird banners of the NHL. Actually, I think that all looks really good. I think their presentation of it was incredible. But that's yeah. a different conversation. But you're not watching the banners. You're watching the play, and if you're uh more analyst minded like the two of us are you're watching for technical things and you're watching for petitioning and uh you're watching certain numbers of players uh, you levy who i know is another favorite of yours yes with you and all those kind of guys and you're wondering eh. and you're just you're you're not worried about all that because it's hockey and when the puck drops it's just it's just hockey and that's yeah. the best part of it that's true and Going off that with your levy, I mean, just to kind of wrap it up a bit here is, is sure. the thing is, is your levy has come a huge, he, he's taken huge strides in just a few months. I mean, you got to think about it. He's been four months away from the game too, um, kind of working out, getting back to, you know, a high strength level. And he looked really good. He only played like, okay, he only played six and a half minutes, but and everyone's like, oh, you know, everyone's freaking out over six and a half minutes. He's better. You know, he's, he's not ready for NHL hockey. He can't be playing regular shift. I mean, just him being here and actually playing and looking good, I think, is really positive for his development going forward. Yeah, I, I have to eat crow here. I criticized Yolevi just a couple months ago when I first uh, joined on with the Canucks and the hockey writers there. But uh yeah, he, he he looked all right. And I think just seeing him play from where he came from, I don't think he performed particularly well in the AHL this season either. And just yeah. seeing him kind of not look completely out of place, maybe that's too low of a bar for him. I think he played okay. But uh, just seeing him play at the NHL level after all he's gone through and all the adversity, whether it be physically or whether it be transitioning to – the bigger game, the more physical game, the AHL especially, and with all the injuries. And, geez, those are bad injuries too. Yeah. But uh, just – I'm optimistic. I don't think he should get a spot. I, I think he should be the eighth D-man or whatever in this Canuck system. But I'm not ready to write him off like I was a couple months ago. I'm not ready – I think a lot of Canuck nations sort of like, okay, maybe it wasn't too impressive, but – He's not far off. Yeah, and the thing is, another off season of him rehabbing and taking the experience he's getting here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's crazy to have 
you know, he's got an extra opportunity. Like I said in an article earlier about that he's got an opportunity that no one you know, expected to have um, being around NHL players, being around NHL coaches. And that's something that he's got to soak in. He's got to take in and, uh, you know, improve himself through that. Yeah, you saw all those tweets from everyone in camp. It's like, you know, Levy's doing well. And Green was obviously impressed. He was publicly impressed about him. But uh, just you still didn't expect it. You expected like a deep yetra or something, like an early cut. And in a couple of years, in a couple of years, we'll reevaluate. Like a long-term project. The, the Canucks perennial long-term project. <laughs> but uh, he, he deserved that seventh spot. He played well rotationally, which is – the most difficult thing to do in hockey because you don't know who you're going out with. Yeah. You're just that guy. You're going to go out for a couple shifts in the entire game. You're going to sit at the end of the bench for most of the game. And you're going to know who you're playing with five seconds before you're on the ice. With that's tough. In hockey, that's tough. Yeah. No, it's true. And I, like he made that one really great outlet pass uh, from his own zone there. And mm-hmm. that's going to be his bread and butter when he gets to the NHL. And he's not going to be, like I've said this earlier before, He's not going to be a flashy defenseman. I mean, everyone's expecting a Quinn Hughes. He's not going to be that. Um, he's going to be that guy that's going to be back there, make the good pass, maybe add some, you know, good, you know, have the assists maybe. Um, I think he could be that guy that's, you know, similar to a Chris Tanev later on is just be solid that back there, make a good outlet pass. And uh, I think we'll be happy about that if that's what he develops into. I'll play the devil's advocate here. I, I really, really don't hate Yul Levy, and I really hope he has the best career ever. But a Chris Tanev at number five overall, you wonder. That's... And I agree. A Chris Tanev is a good player and great defensively and a solid top four on any team. And Toronto's looking at him for good reason. And I think if Yul Levy develops into that, Canucks fans can't have any complaints. But what he was in junior, I, I think there's just that – translation that didn't happen for all yeah. and I think like almost like an Eric well Eric Kirk Branson wasn't a great scorer in junior either but he's a solid physical defender but uh second overall <laughs> yeah no I I think I think they're comparables too but uh yeah I think if you get that you get that solid two-way but more leaning on the defensive side of play from him He's pretty tall, and uh, he's filling out. And if he gets healthy, he'll feel out even better. Because that injuries are the worst for that. Because you're suddenly off the ice, and your conditioning, your metabolism completely changes. I dislocated my shoulder twice, and just my body type has changed through those. Yeah. And that's the hardest to kind of get back into and kind of get the flow back from. And I really hope he does find his niche, whether it is like a Tanev or like anyone else we've mentioned, or like his own player then I really hope he does make the NHL. And I think you're right. His ceiling could be a, a solid top four guy. But like, yeah, like I do agree with Pat. You say that, you know, as Pitt's overall pick, he, you know, a top four guy is not what we expected. Um, he was supposed to be top two. A guy that's going to be a franchise cornerstone type defense. But I mean, ultimately he's not going to be that. I mean, I hope, uh, but like I say, we're at this point, being a top four defenseman is actually quite good. Oh, I think uh, if you draft a – if you knew what you were getting back then, if you knew it was going to be a top four, more defensive-minded player, I think a lot of 
people, including myself, maybe had unrealistically high offensive expectations of him. But I think if you knew what you were getting in terms of a defensive player and that breakout guy, that breakout guy behind Hughes, hopefully. But uh, I I don't think you can be disappointed with a top four guy. Like, if you look at players in the draft class, I'm looking at his draft right now. Uh, the, there's a lot of uh, D-men who didn't – well, haven't turned out yet uh, like they were expected to offensively. And I think you'll levy – as it is with any D-men, it's really – important to see how they transition in their development because what a d-man is when they're younger is hardly ever what a d-man is when they're 28 30 they completely change their play style yeah. and they're they skate can rely less on their skating and have to rely more on uh, awareness and hockey intelligence from playing the league for years i think if he becomes a solid top four defenseman no matter what his play style is i don't think canucks fans can be disappointed with that yeah, and the thing is, is everyone forgets that the fact, too, is kind of pushed him back his development is those major injuries. It is. And, you know, we don't know how he would have developed if he didn't have those injuries. Yeah. I mean, everyone kind of, you know, when we did, when the Cucks did draft him, uh, everyone was like, well, why are we drafting the defenseman? I mean, yeah, we don't really need him. Uh, you know, but at that point, did we think – that there was going to be some significant development from the defenseman that the Canucks did have. It's one of those that really hurts, too, because you look at it and there's Matthew Kachuk and Clayton Keller at 6-7 and seven in that draft right after the Canucks picking Ole Yolevi. And I think that's at least where that creates that massive disconnect for me. But I think you're right. The Canucks uh, had some interesting development patterns in recent years. Stetcher really kind of came yeah. out nowhere – the so one I can kind of think about and Ben Hudden never really worked out for them, but you're just, you never know. And just, you look at the turnover now and Myers for a reasonable, if not a slightly pricey, but reasonable contract. Uh, you have the depth and Fenberg and Ben, whether or not you like him or not. <laughs> but uh, It's just one of those, you can never tell. And with the overhaul required in a rebuilding team, which the Canucks have been for, I don't know, since – when did they lose that? Uh, 2014, maybe, I'd honestly say. Or delusion rebuilding in 2014, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, or delusion not rebuilding, I should say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to get and know where you're going to be in two years, especially with the pile of magic beans that are draft picks when your roster turns over like that. Yeah, that's true. And the thing is, during that draft, I think the Canucks had their sights on Pierre-Luc Dubois, personally. Yeah. And when Columbus picked him third overall, uh, you know, admittedly, very good, astute drafting there because Dubois become a number one center on the Blue Jackets. So, sure. Um, but again, and you're looking at it, if the Canucks would have, would have drafted Dubois, where would the Canucks be now? I don't think we'd have Pedersen. Um, I, I we would either. Same think- thing with picking Kachuk at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, Pedersen is, is a generational talent to me. I mean, during that year, I think he could have legitimately been first overall. Oh, you you, you pick him over Matthews, eh? I, I would. Oh, I'm going to send this to Toronto. I mean, 
I would. And that's not being a fanboy. The thing is, is Pedersen is just, I think ultimately in his prime, he's going to be more of a better two-way guy than Austin Matthews. I, I think he could. I think Matthews is developing that two-way game very, very quickly. But I, I, I don't know. And it's one of those, I don't know. They're very similar in terms of talent. They're at that high level of talent. That's really, really hard to judge. Yeah. Like you have a dry side all going for the MVP, but everyone knows McDavid's the best player in the world. Yeah. Just at that top level, it's so hard to judge talent. I think if yeah. you take any of those top three, well, maybe, yeah. maybe Line is one step below the two, but you're right. Patterson and Matthews, that's, that's something. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's a whole article there, Matt. <laughs> well, the thing is, is Matthews wasn't drafted in the year that Pedersen was. Yes. But uh, you could sure, compare the two young centers. Compare the two. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For but sure. I mean, in the draft that he was drafted in, I mean, definitely first overall pick. I mean, that's over. Interesting idea. Like the last five draft years, combine them all, do a first round for all, from all those years combined. Top 30. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that would well, be. That's a different conversation. <laughs> that's a different thing, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be it's gonna be fun, I mean, to watch the Canucks. And a lot of the guys, like, I keep getting kind of annoyed with the, with the guys that Ian McIntyre keeps referencing the playoff experience. So, oh, you know, you guys don't have playoff experience, playoff experience. You know what? I mean, you look at the guys. Pedersen has had playoff experience, just not NHL playoff experience. He was a playoff MVP, wasn't he? Like, yeah. In the junior league there. You think that that's not the same. It's not the same as NHL playoffs, but he's been in that pressure cooker where he is the main guy that, you know, his team looks at to perform, and he did. So I think he's going to – and he's been, you know, maybe not – as the same caliber of guys checking him, but I think he's going to be, he's going to be just fine in the playoffs and all the guys that don't have playoff experience. I mean, Quinn Hughes was in playoff type atmosphere and like the frozen four and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, you look at it, look at it this way. I'll, I'll agree with you. But if you look at it this way, uh, the Canucks regular season, preseason, even their draft uh, critique, and kind of all the onslaught put on these 18-year-olds from when they're drafted uh, compared to somewhere like, oh, I don't want to attack Florida, but they always get attacked. <laughs> so, in, in terms of a smaller market, let's say, they're already put under such pressure that you don't see in the smaller markets, even in the playoffs, in my opinion. In the in the old Carolina, in the Florida, in the Arizona, okay, I'm not going to list every team off, otherwise I'll never get hired by anybody. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's just – the Canucks environment is so different. I think you're right. I think playoff experience is a bit overrated here because those Canucks, the Hughes, the Pedersen, all those guys have been groomed for this for years. Yeah. So, yeah. So just to finish up the conversation, um, which we'll be talking about this every, probably every episode after, um, is, is Markstrom's going, going to be a big reason for the Canucks uh, moving forward? Is he going to be? I think is he, he going to be? I think he definitely is. I think he has to be. If the Canucks are going to move forward, uh, I'm going to play with the wording of your question there. If the Canucks are going to move forward, it has to be because of Mark Sherman. I think that's just sort of the rust. I really do. I think I'm one of those that thinks there's more rust than others. 
But I think with the rust that they're going to be and just the defensive lapses last night kind of proved this to me that he needs to be better. And he needs to be better than what he was last night. He wasn't bad yeah. last night. But he needs to be that goalie he was during that run where they did really well midseason. Otherwise, I, I don't think relying – because the young guys are going to have lapses. They may be more skilled than the Wild, but they're not going to 100% be on all the time like yeah. that jury. I think you need the Markstrom to bail you out. And that's always tricky because if you need a player to bail you out, then you don't know how far you can go in the first place. Yeah. And, I mean, he looked he looked pretty much, you know, in control yesterday. I think he looked okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but he definitely has to be Connor Hellebuck, maybe not Connor Hellebuck level, but close. Well, um, to Connor Hellebuck is hard. That's tough. He's got to be that type, but he's, he's got to be that type of goaltender. He's got to be good. Or, uh, yeah, like you say, the Canucks aren't probably going to move very far. I mean, they get through this series, but you're going to meet up with some even tougher opponents, like potentially Colorado Avalanche in the next series. Well, you look at the I offensive mean, talent. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation with uh, Nathan McKinnon, and he already looks uh, as dominant as he was during the regular season in that uh, exhibition game yesterday, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to cross cross McKinnon or McCarr. The McCarr Hughes matchup that would be incredible. Eh? Yeah, oh yeah, that would be really good. They only met once, uh, in the regular season, and the last one McCarr was hurt, so oh, uh, really? I really haven't seen much of them together. But for that game that they did, it was good. So. Just a lot of skating up the ice, just the two <laughs> quarterbacks skating. It's like one of those video games where it's just the two players that hold the buck for the entire time. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 exciting to actually just watch hockey in general. Like I was I was watching the Toronto and um, Montreal game, and I'm like, I'm watching hockey again. This is amazing. So <laughs> it's great to be talking hockey. That's some you know hockey game that just happened rather than a hockey game that happened four months ago. Definitely. It's it's exciting. I can't wait. So just to finish, who do you think do you think the Canucks go past the wild and what uh and how many games? Uh maybe I'm some sort of hockey masochist here, but I think the Canucks will go past the wild and I think they'll get eliminated in the next round. And I'm worried that pick's gonna be that that first, the first overall. But uh yeah. I know that's only twelve point five percent, but it's that lingering fear, right? It's like people who fear elevators or yeah, yeah. helicopters or something like that. But I, I think they'll I do I do think they'll get by the wild. I'm gonna say Canucks in four. All right. I'm I'm in the Canucks in five. I think this is going Canucks the distance. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is going five. Um I'm hoping it's earlier than that, but this is just seems like a tight series. It's gonna go back and forth. Um unless, you know, like Pedersen takes over a series and kind of goes some people are calling three I'm like a little bit yeah, <laughs> that's, that's optimistic but I think the wild will take at least a couple games who do you think gonna win the first one I I'm I'll, I'm gonna say the Canucks but it's going to overtime oh that would be exciting I'd take that Sunday night it's going to overtime that's I'll, I'm gonna say Game and winner? it's gonna be Quinn Hughes with the winner okay I'll buy you a beer if you're right all right. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So uh, I'll give you kind of a couple minutes to kind of plug any articles you got coming up, and I'll just give you the floor for, for that. Oh, uh, well, thanks. I, I wish <laughs> I could start a speech, but I, I, 
was totally not expecting this. Oh gosh, that sounds so sarcastic. But um, <laughs> my name is Aiden Valley. I'm a writer for the Canucks and Prospects, as uh, our lovely host mentioned earlier, on the Hockey Writer. You can find my articles there or on my Twitter at, at Aiden Bat. That's A I D A N B A double T. And uh, you can find that there, plus a lot of commentary and all a lot of polling and community interaction too. I really like to make my content community based because I think uh, people have a lot better ideas than I do. So I really, really hope uh, you enjoy our articles and enjoy this podcast for you. I had a lot of fun recording it and uh, let's see what happens. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. It was a great, great talking with you and uh, hope, hopefully get you on again um, multiple times. So and be kind of like maybe a half co-host or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. This was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation and uh, not bad. Not bad for a first, first go, no practice. Yeah, it was great. So, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening uh, to this exhibition game, uh, post game, basically, because uh, we're releasing this episode tomorrow rather than our normal or my normal uh, Monday night or Monday morning uh, release. So look for it tomorrow. Awesome. I'll be looking for it too. I want to thank my guest, Aiden Badley, for coming on the show. Uh, it'd be great to have you on uh, multiple times as we go forward here as uh, somewhat of a co-host as we go forward. Uh, it's been a great last few episodes. I wanted to take a shout out to Permanent Rain Press for uh, featuring me in your latest article. Uh, that was great to hear and uh, definitely pushed me forward to giving you guys some great uh, content moving forward because uh, this has been fun for me and uh, hopefully I have some really great guests as we go forward here too. So uh, thanks again for mentioning me in your articles there. Um, next, we'll be talking about the Canucks playoffs. Uh, first game going on Sunday. Uh, it's been uh, great to talk Canucks rather than uh, talking about them in the past tense, talking about what's going to happen and uh, about games that have just happened. So it's been good to actually have some new content out. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be exciting to watch the Canucks in action coming on Sunday. So thanks everyone for listening and I'll leave you with the sweet voice of Chris Cuthbert's last playoff call that he did for the Canucks. Debris on the ice and 15 seconds left. McGill has the stick knocked out of his hand. He falls at center. Naslin dashing in. 10 seconds left. Marcus Naslin to the net. Stop. Score!